Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Deadhead Cannabis Show. I'm Larry Mishkin from Mishkin Law in Chicago on a really beautiful 80-degree sunny day here. It's just it's too nice to even be inside, so we're going to try and get the technology to be able to do this outside if we can tamp down the ambient noises or whatever they call it out there, but I'm sure uh, Dan Hummiston will be on it. Great show today, gang. Um, the, the, the dates fall perfectly. Uh, we are going back to April 16th and 17th, 1983. Uh, spring tour, Grateful Dead, coming making their way through upstate New York and then eventually swinging down to Brendan Byrne Arena in East Rutherford. And how wonderful it is that on both nights, a special guest came out and played with them. So let's hear our opening clip from Dan. So those of you keeping score at home, we are joined on that, the dead, excuse me, are joined on that uh, musical clip by Stephen Stills of Crosby, Nash, CSNY, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. Sorry about that. That's Stephen Stills. Uh, and uh, he just happens to wander out on stage with them on April 16th, 1983. Uh, the boys coming out of the space. And the next thing you know, the sophisticated ear is hearing the opening strains of Black Queen a Stephen Stills number off of his self-titled album that came out in 1970. A very, very well-received album. Uh, did very well for him. I think really helped establish him as Crosby, Stills, Nash, and, and Young joining them at that time uh, were beginning to make a name for themselves at, at their performance at Woodstock and uh, really spreading out from that. Um, and Stills is a, is a force to be reckoned with. He's a, he's a great player. He's a great jammer. He uh, uh, plays a lot of good guitar. And it's just uh, a lot of fun to have him uh, play with the Grateful Dead. And how nice if it's one of the nights when you're there and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, here comes Stephen Stills. So, yeah, very, very exciting for the fans who were there and who really got to see him. And that he came out and he played this song, Black Queen, which is, like I say, if you're a fan of Stephen Stills, you're, you're, you're a fan of that song. But uh, something that I didn't know but now do and can share with you is that this was neither the first time that Stephen Stills played on stage with the Grateful Dead, nor the first time that he played Black Queen with the Grateful Dead. And in fact, uh, the first for both of those was back in 1969, December 10th to be exact, at the Thelma Theater in Los Angeles. Uh, and um, this is uh, two days before the uh, December 12th show, which is the subject of Dave's Picks number 10, uh, a very hot time for the boys uh, again, you know, kind of rotating out of Primal Dead and into the um, uh, Americana Dead that we've talked about. Uh, but they really crank. And on uh, December 10th, uh, Stephen Stills walks out on stage, uh, plays Good Morning Little Schoolgirl with them, Morning Dew, and then Black Queen. And at that point, uh, his album uh, had not even been released yet. So uh, it was just friends, uh, friends, fans of, of Stills and uh, who, you know, who were sophisticated enough to know that that's him, that's his tune, and maybe it had already gotten a little bit of airplay back then, I'm not sure, uh, but that's a great version of it too, and uh, we will in fact uh, feature this show, uh, the one from Thelma on December 10th, 1969, a little bit later this year, uh, when it's more date appropriate for our show, but stay tuned for that and, and, and keep this version of uh, Black Queen in your mind today. Uh, or download it off of archive.org and listen to it at any time between now and then. And for that matter, you can get the December 10th, 1969 show too and be way ahead of the game. But we will play that because that was another great show uh, that we don't have time to talk about in any more in depth today. 
other than to tease with the fact that the word on the street was he had a little trouble keeping up with Jerry on Morning Dew, who was not playing the Bonnie Dobson version, uh, but the now uh, ever-becoming famous Jerry Garcia version. Uh, but Steve Stills is a good sport, and he hung out and, and really tried to do it. So going back to uh, April 16th, 1983, so out of the space, they go into Black Queen with Stephen Stills, uh, but this is not a one-off for him, not at all. And in fact, as we roll right into our next clip here, uh, Ico Ico, which is a song we feature all the time, because why not? It's, it's a great, fun song. Nobody's ever heard an Ico they didn't like. And when we hear Ico Ico, you hear every version under the sun, uh, with meaning for the, the lyrics that go in between the Hey Now chorus parts, um, different styles, different whatever. And Jerry's kind of done a few of them. Uh, my his spot dog says, your spot dog sitting by the bio. My spot dog sees your spot dog going to set his tail on fire. And a whole bunch similar to that. But when Stills joins them on the ICO, listen very carefully because he picks up one of the verses and it's it's one we've never really heard before. Go ahead, Dan. friends, this is not the uh, Ico Ico that we heard in the uh, early 1990s, um, <clears throat> excuse me, with a few exceptions in there where Jerry uh, tend to really slow this song down. This is a, a hot rocking version of it. I think everybody's jazzed to have Stephen Stills on stage. I think they're jazzed that Stephen Stills is belting out lyrics that uh, um, you know, we've never heard. I, I, I've never heard any other version of Ico Ico by anybody. Uh, sing, the, sing that verse that Stephen still sang, and I've been looking all over for it, so if anybody can find it out there and let me know, uh, that would be awesome. But listen to the way he sings it. He throws in that great, ooh, there towards the end. I can't do it like him, of course, but you know what I mean. And uh, it's great. You know, he, he's just energized, and, he, and he's just having a great time up there. Um, this really is one of my favorite versions of that song, and uh, I'm sure for the people who were there, uh, it was one that they all enjoyed very much as well. And uh, again, all part of this wonderful experience of seeing Stephen Stills. Uh, there's a lot more from that show and from the next show that we will get to in a moment. But we do have um, some interesting marijuana news today. And I put most of this marijuana news in the category of good and some of it in the category of, boy, this is really, really good. And let's start off with that because uh, we're going to talk sports for a little while. And although I love sports um, and I know that... Uh, Rob Hunt, when he's here, is a big fan of sports. Uh, even Jim Marty uh, had his favorite sports teams and everything, and who doesn't? Uh, but there's never been much of an overlap between sports and marijuana, except pointing out the ridiculous nature of all the rules that say that players can go out and drink alcohol every night after performing and then performing the next day, but they can't smoke marijuana. Um, well, guess what? The NBA is now formally and I say formally for a reason, lifting its ban on marijuana in a new deal with the NBA Players Union. Uh, so the story that I saw says, uh, in marijuana moment, thank you very much, uh, the National Basketball Association is reportedly removing marijuana from its list of banned substances and will no longer drug test players for it as part of a new seven-year collective bargaining agreement. Um, and basically the sources are saying that the NBA players will no longer be prohibited from marijuana under this new agreement. It's been removed from the anti-drug testing program, a process that began during the 2019-2020 season, meaning the removal of it began back then. Um, they've, uh, for years, always said that they've tested for marijuana. My friends and I, uh, especially my buddies, uh, John and Blake, who would go to, with me to the Bulls games for years and years when it really meant something to go to the Bulls games. 
Um, and we all just naturally assume that they just paid lip service to that because too many basketball players, in our opinion, and we could have been wrong, uh, enjoyed marijuana um, for any one of a number of reasons, not the least of which that it was a great way to relax and uh, help relieve pain after a game or the next day uh, or whatever they would do. But we've always all long advocated for the fact that it's really not a performance enhancing substance. And I think it makes people laugh when we say that because most people think of getting stoned and sitting on your couch and falling asleep which isn't actually uh, conducive to going out and trying to play uh, basketball at the elite professional level uh, that is played in the NBA by every team except the Bulls these days. I'm just a, a disgruntled former season ticket holder. What can I tell you? So NBA commissioner David Silver uh, had signaled really in 2020 uh, that the policy of cutting back on this type of testing eventually the policy of eliminating marijuana testing would become permanent. And really, uh, they say they softened this up uh, when the players were competing in the quarantine bumble in Orlando uh, during the coronavirus, coronavirus pandemic that year when nobody played any games uh, in front of fans and everything was being played in Orlando in, in the bubble that they created down there in their state-of-the-art Disney sports, sports facility that had a whole bunch of basketball courts and everything. And, and I love this next quote where Silver says, we decided that given all the things that were happening in society, Given all the pressures and stress that players were under, that we didn't need to act as big brother right now, he said at the time. I think society's views around marijuana has changed to a certain extent. Wow. So how great is that? They brought the players down to Orlando. They locked them up and they let them smoke their marijuana. And yes, that was a nice move. And of course, nobody feels bad for these guys because we were all locked up and none of us were getting paid $5 million for doing it. Um, but nevertheless, uh, you know, to think that uh, he was giving them something that they didn't already have and were probably not already going to use is silly. But, you know, that's OK. If the NBA is getting on board, then they're entitled to take whatever position they want to take. And, you know, if the ultimate message is that um, you can smoke marijuana and still be like Mike, uh, then, then even better. But what's really happening here, I think that's even more important, is that what happens here in the NBA is just really the latest step uh, you know, much larger national discussion about cannabis testing policies uh, for athletes as it continues, you know, to kind of unfold at this point. We all know this when we saw the U.S. runner Shakuri Richardson was prohibited from uh, participating with the U.S. Olympic team in the Olympics because of a positive THC test. At the time, she said that she felt blessed and proud if the attention her case raised would affect a policy change for other athletes and even the White House. And President Joe Biden himself weighed in on the case, suggesting there's a question about whether the marijuana ban should remain the rules. And, you know, I think that's just Biden. And we've all talked about his anti-marijuana bias, uh, you know, trying to be a statesman and kind of walk the middle line. Interestingly, the World Anti-Doping Agency decided last year to keep marijuana on the list of banned substances for international athletes following a scientific review and determination that cannabis, now listen to this, talk about chutzpah violates the spirit of the sport. What? Wait a minute. They needed a scientific review to tell them that it, 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 it violated the spirit of the sport. They needed the scientific review to tell them that nobody was getting any kind of athletic advantage, a competitive advantage over their, their fellow athletes, and that it probably was helping them. But the World Anti-Doping Agency, they were concerned about what it would mean for them. So in their interpretation of what the spirit of sports is, they stepped in and they blocked something, which any reasonable test would show shouldn't be blocked any more than allowing athletes to drink alcohol uh, before or after events. Or, you know, we don't stop them from doing that. Why not? OK, really, this is this is just the good part about all of this is that this is a good story and the NBA is doing the right thing. The bad part about this and, and ultimately the good part about that is it's shining a spotlight on all of these different organizations, you know, that, that are really just in it for themselves and the money that they can generate by, by pretending uh, that they're really in it for the purity and the good of the sport, in my opinion, of course. And I think that, uh, you know, we've seen this in a lot of instances um, where where money rules the day. And I'm not going to get into that because I don't want to make controversy out of sports. Um, but let's just say that I'm sure there were a lot of people that uh, John Ram, a uh, PGA guy won the uh, Masters tournament instead of uh, Kurt, uh, Brooks Kepke, uh, who was an LIV guy. Um, so, you know, don't talk to us about violating the spirit of the sport. The spirit of the sport is just your own subjective determination of whatever that means. Um, and in this case, uh, you're all too happy to give you an excuse to be able to kick somebody out who you don't like. And now you can you, and you can conveniently blame it on marijuana. Um, that's ridiculous. And that should never be the case. Major League Baseball, who 
this uh, article calls one of the most progressive professional sports when it comes to cannabis policy. Okay, maybe. Uh, recently signed a CBD company to serve as the league's first ever cannabis sponsor who will be promoted supposedly at the World Series this year. I can't wait to see those commercials. Um, you know, that'll be great. Um, uh, also last year, Major League Baseball started allowing its baseball teams to sell sponsorships, sponsorships to cannabis companies. Um, and so that, you know, in, the, in that respect, I guess they've stood out among professional sports leagues is more willing to respond to changing marijuana policy landscape. And uh, in 2020, the league stated that players would not be punished for using cannabis while they aren't working, but they can't be personally sponsored by a marijuana company or hold investments in the industry. Stupid, right? I mean, is that just stupid? This isn't gambling. We don't say that uh, all these athletes can't go out and own their own vodka brands or, you know, alcohol brands or whatever they want. But when it comes to cannabis, you can't put your name on a cannabis brand. Okay. Um, and the league says, you know, that they, they want to look into it. Um, but they're not the only ones. Um, the UFC announced in 2021 that they would no longer be punishing their fighters uh, for positive uh, marijuana tests. Student athletes that are part of the NCAA uh, may possibly no longer automatically lose their eligibility to play following a, mar- a positive marijuana test by un- rules that are under uh, that have been recommended and are under consideration. Uh, the NFL's drug testing policy has already changed demonstrably in 2020 as part of their new collective bargaining agreement, such that NFL players no longer face the possibility of being suspended for games over positive tests for any drug not just marijuana, under that new agreement on the threshold for what constitutes a positive THC test was also increased under the deal, right? Meaning that if we're going to let them smoke, but ultimately draw uh, some sort of a limit, the limit has to be reasonable. It can't just be any, it's got to be something more. Uh, So, you know, in in, um, reality, we'll see how that plays out. And then, of course, uh, talking about sports and cannabis, uh, we have Brittany Griner's story, which um, I think serves as as a model for everyone here, right? And the simple answer is don't take marijuana to Russia. Um, You know, I mean, I'm I'm not criticizing Brittany. personally in that regard, but I think, you know, for anyone to take marijuana in and out of Russia is, is just a dicey proposition. And anytime you're dealing with a country uh, that has no real, what we in the West would look at and call, you know, any kind of rule of law at all. Um, and, and again, having the marijuana only creates a pretext for them to pull you over uh, to create the international incident that they sought to create. So again, no slam on Brittany Griner, couldn't be happier that she got out, have no problem with the deal that they made to release her. And I hope she returns to the WNBA and becomes a dominating superstar there. But I think that it, it, it's a lesson that everyone out there should pay very close attention to and, and learn from it. And if people can learn from it, um, then there's always a positive spin that comes out of that. But going back to the happy uh, uh, sports news, we just talked about uh, this other story about the NBA touting the uh, Major League Baseball as partnering with CBD companies. Well, lo and behold, the Chicago Cubs, the team all of us St. Louis Cardinals love to hate, um, meaning that we do love the Cubs and all the Cubs fans out there, but we love beating them even more. And uh, we all took a year off in 2016 after they won the World Series, but now they can no longer pretend that they're the lovable losers and we'll see how they react like all the other baseball teams when they actually have to win. But I digress on the Cubs. Meanwhile, they have uh, cut a deal with uh, the CBD sparkling beverage brand, Mind, M-Y-N-D, drinks, uh, that the company's products will be marketed uh, in signage at Wrigley Field and promoted through several in-game features. So I can't wait to see that, right? Dunkin' Donuts, they have the uh, the Dunkin' uh, Donut race. And we always would sit there at the Bulls games between the third and fourth quarter and watch the donuts go around. It would be a donut, a cup of coffee and a bagel. And whichever one won, if you were holding the right ticket, you could get one of those free the next day. Um, and, and they had Phil George F., the voice of Chicago racing, doing it for years. Uh, and we really loved it. But if they're going to have a similar deal with CBD, I can't imagine when they're going to have a joint, a bong and uh, a rig, right? And, and they can all go truck around the track and uh, and, and see who the winner is. Um, but Mind Drinks is a Chicago-based company uh, that promotes overall wellness, which I'm sure is why they're striking a deal with the Cubs. And here's their ad that using their product helps ease the stressors of everyday life, just like a Friday 120 game at Wrigley Field. Yeah, not so much in those years when the Cubs were in the process of losing 100 games and it's September and 
they're not really drawing anyone on Friday at 120 at Wrigley Field. But I appreciate the sentiment as a baseball fan and someone who enjoys being in Wrigley Field, uh, both to watch the Cardinals and to see Dead and Company. Um, but this is now really, in my opinion, the best part. As part of the partnership, the Cubs have announced uh, they are releasing guided meditation on YouTube, narrated by Cubs radio play-by-play announcer, Pat Hughes. Now, let me say this. I love Pat Hughes. I think he's a great voice. He's a great homer for the Cubs. Um, not nearly as, as shrill and stark as other Cubs announcers have been in the past, um, but just a solid, solid baseball guy. Um, but I'm sitting here in my mind trying to imagine him what it sounds like when he's giving um, the voice over for a uh, for a meditation that they're all that they're all trying to do, um, you know, and, and, and that's just uh, well, that's one of those things. I don't know if I'll ever be able to really get my my, my head around them. Um, but then this article goes back and again talks about uh, all of the other uh, uh, positive things that were going on with marijuana right now, which is really so important, I think. Um, and, and, you know, my first thought when I saw that the NFL players will no longer face the possibility of being suspended from games over positive drug tests, right? Who isn't thinking too late for Ricky Williams, right? I mean, here was a guy who was one of the best running backs of his time and very, very famously and publicly chose marijuana over staying in the NFL and complying with the NFL rule and, you know, in part explaining how important marijuana was to his overall health and his mental health. And a lot of people, a lot of serious football fans really derided him for that. And a lot of us marijuana people, you know, applauded him for it. And while at the same time recognizing the unfairness of not allowing this guy to play uh, simply for using something that is legal or should be legal and was being used by so many other people with no known detrimental effects or anything like that. Uh, but now really too late for him in his career, uh, the NFL is finally wising up. Uh, and my suspicion is that they uh, privately were wising up for a while, too, because I find it hard to believe that there's not a certain number of football players who don't automatically uh, smoke marijuana after games, again, both to relax, to calm themselves down, uh, and to try to find ways uh, to treat the pain they have from nagging injuries or new injuries or whatever kind of injuries they have that don't require them to consume doses of opioids um, that you know probably leave them feeling less than 100% uh, once the euphoria of the high that they provide wears down. And just as an aside, uh, last night my wife and I uh, hit the final episode finally of Dope Sick, uh, which is the story of OxyContin and the Sackler family. Um, and even though it does focus on the Sackler family and OxyContin, I think it makes a great story uh, overall for the risk, the dangers and the risks of opioids um, and why uh, trying to keep players off of opioids should be prioritized over worrying about whether they're smoking marijuana. And instead of having a needle in the locker room to shoot them up with, how about making sure they have access to medical marijuana after games so they can better relax and they can better allow their bodies to heal and not have as much pain in their system. Uh, so, you know, look, hats off to the NFL. If it's going to really move in this direction, if it's going to really let players do this, um, you know, I think it'll be all for the best. And otherwise, uh, you know, within a year or two, I imagine we'll have data that will tell us. And I'm going to be optimistic and assume that's going to be positive data uh, that we're going to want to see. Um, uh, even Snoop Dogg, the uh, marijuana icon, uh, is involved in this discussion, arguing that sports leagues need to stop testing players for marijuana and allow them to use as an alternative to prescription opioids, which is what I just said, or maybe he said it first. So when I said it, we could say that's what Snoop just said. Uh, I'm not going to deem myself more relevant or important than him when it comes to that kind of stuff. But, you know, that's the kind of thinking that we're talking about here. Uh, and Snoop and Martha Stewart, lovely couple that they are. He certainly adopted a, a much uh, larger uh, place, I think, in the uh, ongoing discussion uh, in this country about all things and certainly about marijuana. And, uh, you know, it's positive to hear him speak up. He's a big sports fan. I know he's a big USC fan. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that's great when these guys you know, who are, uh, have invested themselves both personally and professionally uh, in maintaining a marijuana ID and, and, you know, because you really live that life or because, you know, you want to portray that image. In Snoop's case, I don't think anyone, and certainly not I, are doubting his bona fides in that regard. Um, but, you know, Snoop brings his own perspective, and I, I love Snoop's perspective, uh, and I like to think that a lot of that perspective has been shaped or framed uh, by marijuana, or maybe he, you know, those are the thinkings of the types of people uh, that are more comfortable with marijuana. I don't want to overthink it either, uh, but either way, Snoop and, and marijuana, it's a good thing. His thoughts are a good thing, and I'm glad that he's involved in this discussion as a guy who um, everybody knows and hopefully more and more people 
uh, respect and are willing to listen to what he has to say. We're going to pop back to our music here for a minute and set the rest of the marijuana stories off to the side. And I think that um, I, I couldn't play these shows and entirely 100% focus on the Stephen Stills aspects of the shows, even though uh, we could easily do that and, and, and more than fill the time that we have uh, to do this today. Um, but dab smack uh, in the middle of the second set, Bobby on uh, uh, at this show. So they, they play come out of space. They play Black Queen. They play Ico, and then from Ico they transition into the other one. And while they're transitioning into the other one, Bobby kind of takes over for a second right at the very beginning. Dan, go ahead. One of them little stars One of them little stars That'd be just fine All you gotta do is hang up there and shine and you can hear them right at the end they're starting to pick up the uh the beat to uh, make the transition full force into the other one, um, which we'll get to in one second. But let's let's talk about this for a minute. Um, on the official show uh, recordings on archive.org, it doesn't even get its own mention. It just says Black Queen into Ico into the other one into Black Peter into one more Saturday night. And so you'd have to listen to the beginning of the other one to specifically know that it's there. And it, near as deadheads can tell, it, it was just merely a fragment of a song that Bobby was thinking about. Maybe he was trying to write a new song. Maybe he was just noodling around and a few nights it popped into his head. Uh, but there's only three instances of him doing it with the dead all in 1983 and all as lead-ins to the other one, just like this. It, it more or less got the name little star, uh, although a number of deadheads affectionately refer to it as Bob star. Um, so you can kind of take your pick with it, but just wanted to throw that in there because that was just one of those moments in grateful dead history where, you know, the, these ideas pop into their heads and they act on them in kind of a, a half baked manner, if you will. And if it's something that resonates with them, they eventually, you know, work it out, like wave that flag turned into us blues and, um, you, you get songs like that where, um, you know, something that wasn't really quite a song becomes a song. Um, and for whatever reason, this one never really did advance beyond uh, basically those verses that you just heard Bobby sing uh, with the band otherwise noodling in the background, getting ready for its other one lead in and turning the stage over to him. Uh, so, you know, hats off to Bobby for Bob Starr. And, you know, as you search around uh, 1983 shows, uh, perhaps you will stumble upon uh, uh, another version of it, but just uh, Bobby having fun. Now, again, I, I couldn't leave this song just yet because as the dead begin this kind of transition now from Bob Starr making their way heavily into the other one, it, it's one of these wonderful moments where uh, they're playing, they're playing, they're playing. Uh, they decide to jump into the other one, and Phil likes to kind of announce his presence with authority. Dan? No, no, not a full clip. Uh, I just had to play uh, that Phil bass bomb for the ages. There is they're 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 jamming. They're now they're setting up the song. Uh, Phil would do that a lot back in the the early days and do it a little bit more, you know, uh, in the modern times. But it, it doesn't always come out as as sound like that. Uh, that's just a the the bellowing bass. And when you're in the audience, you know, you can literally feel the the shockwave come through the air, um, you know, as as it makes its way out into the crowd and. Uh, you know, Phil, don't forget, we talked about last week. I mean, this was a guy 
who joined the band and had never played bass before, but he was such a talented musician. He picked it up in no time. And not only did he pick it up, he mastered it. He innovated the six string bass and all sorts of things. And, you know, when he wants to let people know he's there by God, he does it. And, and, and those are special moments. So I, quite frankly, I was ready to move on. Uh, but Dan, our, our engineer, now a deadhead, not necessarily by choice, but certainly by necessity working with us for so long, uh, he would not let me drop the song uh, with one of the better Phil bass bombs until you heard it. So thanks to Dan for that. Love the fact that he's getting into the music with us. And, uh, and that's really good stuff. We have a lot of fun with that. Now, jumping back to marijuana for a minute. More music to come. Don't go away. Uh, when I say the best is yet to come on the music side, uh, you may not be able to believe that given all the great stuff we've heard today. Um, but it's true. So hang on and, and bear with me. Marijuana news, more good marijuana news. Michigan, marijuana sales hit record high of $250 million in March. Just in the month of March, the state data shows. Uh, this is a record high for, Mar- for uh, the state of Michigan, uh, according to the state regulators. Apparently, the lion's share of those sales uh, came from the adult use market, which saw almost $240 million worth of marijuana products sold last month. Medical marijuana purchases recorded. million during the same time span, uh, which was reported again uh, in our marijuana moment uh, and first reported by New Cannabis Ventures. So credit to all of them. Uh, But these are big numbers. uh, And it's always heartening for for me to see that most of the cannabis purchases came from flour, followed by vape cartridges and infused edibles uh, with, with extracts a little bit farther down the list, which always surprises me. Uh, because they are, in my mind, uh, uh, very cost efficient and work incredibly well. But I understand people like vape cartridges, which more or less gives you the same effect. Um, it is much cleaner and neater and no smell, and you don't get the sticky stuff all over your fingers, uh, which can ruin a really good car ride. Um, so the state, but here, this, is the, this is the part about all of this that's amazing to me. And this is why at first when I read this, I wasn't sure I was reading the headline right. The state is seeing these record-setting sales, even as the average cost of marijuana has remained at record lows, with the price of an ounce now hovering around $90, $90. Now, even just a few months ago in Michigan, the cost of an ounce was double that. It was $180, the price of an ounce of marijuana. In Illinois, people are paying $80 for an eighth of marijuana. To be able to buy an ounce for 90 and they're still setting records. Now, you know, cynical people will argue that's because a lot of people are driving over from Illinois and other states and stocking up on cheap marijuana and bringing it back to Illinois and turning around and selling it for a profit on what we call the gray market. Started with a legal source and then gets diverted to a, a, a potential legal, illegal source. But, you know, either way, whatever the, whatever the, the point, um, my takeaway from this is that a state like Illinois should take notice of this. And why not go for hitting record sales? And I, I think it's, it's pretty obvious here. If the prices are lowered and uh, consumers are given a choice of quality products at reasonable prices, they will turn out in much larger numbers. Um, and I, although I didn't pull the article today, I saw Missouri just had its second record, second record-breaking month. And Illinois is at least almost double the population of Missouri with uh, more, you know, urban residential uh, square footage and area uh, where, where marijuana sales would be very popular and where they should be very popular. Um, but when we can't control our prices in this state uh, and Missouri is doing a darn good job in theirs, guess what, folks? All of a sudden, all that money uh, from Missouri residents flooding into Illinois is now going exactly the opposite direction. And people from Illinois are now driving over to Missouri and paying a lot less than they have to pay in their own home state, um, which makes a lot of sense. Why wouldn't you? And, uh, you know, look what's happening in Michigan. Um, so, you know, this is a good thing. Uh, and it, and it, it's, it's great to see uh, that they're passing this. The next thing they want to focus on in Michigan, and, and good luck with them on that, is they also want to uh, try and work on uh, saving, passing safe cannabis banking reform. Uh, the Attorney General of Michigan cited the number of break-ins at marijuana dis- uh, dispensaries in the state uh, over the last year or so when they've been measuring um, you know, really, really underscores uh, the need to be able to allow dispensaries to deposit their cash into banks, just like every other business, uh, for all sorts of reasons, not the least of which is uh, to take away that incentive uh, for potential robbers or burglars who want to break into a dispensary because, hey, what does it have in there? 
marijuana and cash. That's like, you know, every burglar's dream, right? What else do they need if they can get marijuana in cash? So banking reform, we've talked about it and talked about it. Um, we are hoping that it will uh, bounce back strong and we will continue to follow it. But more good news, Michigan regulators announced that they were also issuing another round of grants to support research into the therapeutic benefits of marijuana for military veterans using tax dollars the state generated from adult use cannabis sales. So that that's two good things, right? That's a great use of these dollars and it's a great source of these dollars. And you know, if the state's going to uh, tax on top of you know what's already being charged to try to tax at a higher rate, at least do something good with the money. And if you can do something that ties back into the cannabis world and that you're using it for positive purposes like that, and who better than military veterans to be on the receiving at receiving end of those benefits? Uh, that's a great thing, and very very happy to see uh, that Michigan is doing it. But Michigan is not the only state here. Uh, Connecticut saw a record twenty. $22 million in combined recreational and medic, medical marijuana sales in March uh, in data that they just released. Uh, we just said Missouri cannabis sales reached a record $126 million in March, uh, which is, again, you know, blowing Illinois' numbers out of the water. The governor of New Mexico uh, recently noted on the one-year anniversary of the state's adult use market that it made more than $300 million in sales since April, since last April, as well as thousands of jobs to the cannabis industry. Now, $300 million, you know, may, may not sound as much, uh, you know, for a state like Michigan that's making $250 million in one month. But, you know, think about the population of New Mexico. And more important than that, think about the layout of the state. There are not a lot of population centers in that state. So for them, $300 million is a wonderful number. Arizona, their year-end total for 2022 adult-use cannabis sales reached $1.4 billion. Uh, Massachusetts, the state's recreational market, officially exceeded $4 billion in total sales in January of this year from the time it launched in 2018. So in five years, $4 billion in sales. And Wisconsin wants to get on board because just like what used to happen with Illinois and Missouri, they see that Wisconsin residents uh, who don't have a regulated marijuana market in their state are going across the border to Illinois and spending more than $121 million on marijuana here. So don't be surprised if Wisconsin uh, pulls its head out of its backside on most of its politics these days and uh, doesn't try to institute something like this. Uh, and every state should. Right. I mean, yes, it's great if, if residents from Wisconsin want to drive here, but the fact of the matter is they shouldn't have to. And there's no reason for every state not to have some source of adult use and medical marijuana available uh, for the people in those states that want to have them. And, you know, if this is the kind of thing that it takes to make it happen, well, then good. Competition is a good thing in that regard. Nobody's ever said no to making more money and they shouldn't here. Now, I want to move to the international market for a minute. One of the things that Bob Hoban and I talked about last week uh, was the growth of recreational cannabis uh, throughout the rest of the world. Um, and, and one area that I know that, that, that everybody's been focused on, and we talked about it last week, was Germany. Uh, and Germany kind of intending to be uh, the first and the, the example for the rest of Western Europe and for the European Union uh, on how cannabis can, uh, a legal cannabis market can be operated in a European country. And everybody's been watching Germany for a while, very excited about the rollout. Germany is very, very liberal Liberal on these. You may recall a story that Jim Marty and I did a few years back where one of the things that Germany did was they started printing the tickets for their local public transportation on paper, the back of which had CBD. So after you showed the ticket to the ticket conductor, you could put the ticket on your tongue and get some CBD, which was intended to help relax you and put you in a better state of mind for wherever you were headed. So that that's a remarkably uh liberalistic move for a uh, any government to take, let alone um, uh, a European country like Germany, but they did. And I think for a lot of people, uh, that really sent a message that with marijuana, uh, Germany's a great place to start and maybe they will be very, very liberal with it, uh, which could only mean good things for the rest of uh, Europe. However, I had been hearing rumors of pushbacks from the rest of Europe saying to Germany, we don't want a program quite as liberal as the one you're talking about. So we want you to make some restrictions to it. And the question was whether this would or would not happen. And now we know that it has. Also in uh, Marijuana Moment, the headline, the German officials unveil a revised plan 
to legalize marijuana. Top German health officials have unveiled a revised plan of, to legalize marijuana nationwide. The previous cannabis policy has failed, said the German health minister. Now we have to go new ways. The new plan seeks to provide for the controlled delivery of cannabis to adults within clear limits. We want, the fi- we want to fight the black market and we want to push back drug-related crimes. Um, the f- uh, Federal Minister of Food and uh, Agriculture for Germany said that the use of cannabis is a social reality. So right there, that's, that, this is good. We're noting from higher-ups in the German government that they've tried to handle cannabis and failed and that uh, recognizing that cannabis is, is part of their social reality so they can no longer ignore it. They can no longer just try to jail people over, people over it. Uh, they have to come up with some kind of a plan. Uh, but I think also part of this is to set the stage for the fact that they're going to kind of roll back some of the limits that they had, that they had discussed before. Um, so the, the current plan represents a scaling back of the legalization framework that the government had initially announced last year. While there would be limited sales components, there wouldn't be a countrywide commercial cannabis market as originally envisioned. Instead, the government is looking to allow adults to possess up to 25 grams of marijuana and grow up to three flowering plants for personal use, while permitting nonprofit cannabis clubs with a maximum of 500 members where growers could distribute products similar to those in Spain and in Malta. Now, one important thing to note there, note there is that on-site consumption would not be allowed at these clubs, uh, but the, the clubs could, in addition to sell, uh, providing marijuana, could also provide up to seven seeds or five cuttings or, or clones per month to each member to be used in their home cultivation, which is a good thing. Theoretically, it can be done here, but it's hard to, uh, sometimes can be very hard to, to find access to seeds uh, or to clippings for, for people who want to grow their own at home. Um, adults over the age of 21 years would see a purchase limit of 50 grams a month uh, via the clubs and sales to adults between 18 and 21 would be limited to a total of 30 grams within a month. But even that's significant. Here, the market is now going to be open to 18 years of age and older. In the United States, it's 21 years of age or older. There, they're going to be up to buy, able to buy up to 30 grams. In most states, the adult use maximum is 28 grams, just a full ounce. So they're even getting a little more there. But people over 21 years of age can go in uh, and uh, purchase gram. Now it is 50 grams a month, um, but that's still significant. That's uh, uh, just a little bit shy of two full ounces a month. Um, and, you know, I think that that's a great amount to be able to do. Not that people necessarily need that amount, but, you know, on the other hand, to, to slap a limit of one ounce. Uh, so if you want to go in, you want to buy some flour, you want to buy some extracts, you want to buy some other stuff, all the things where they, where they total up the grams of THC that are involved, uh, you can start to hit limits very fast. Um, you know, without buying any, just any one or two things in, in, in bulk or mass quantity. So, um, but look, again, I, I think that these limit numbers seem fairly reasonable. Uh, and certainly if this is what they consider to be their rollback position, uh, although I'm not a German citizen and nobody asked me, uh, they do seem reasonable and livable uh, to me. Now, ultimately, there's going to be a limit on THC content. Uh, those specifics are to be clarified later. And there is going to be a ban on advertising for the associations or for cannabis in general. So, you know, baby steps, I think, is, is the key here. Um, localities in Germany where they would allow these clubs uh, will still have the right to opt out or opt in, uh, allowing the stores to operate within their uh, jurisdictions which again is not unlike what we saw in states like Illinois when they passed the statewide adult use uh, law, allowing each uh, city in the state of Illinois the opportunity to opt in or opt out uh, as they decide to see fit. Um, the government's new framework in Germany says that convictions for activity made legal could be deleted from the federal central register upon application and that ongoing cases will be dropped. This is the social equity component. And it's great to see that they're not even making it very difficult uh, and it also be made to see here that they're not putting the onus on the individual users to step in like they are doing in the United States and people uh, who either don't know about it or who don't move fast enough or who can't get anyone to assist them and can't avail themselves of these benefits. Uh, in Germany, it's looking like the government's going to take care of everything uh, and that uh, – that's a much better way. And here's something else. Minors caught with marijuana will need to participate in mandatory intervention and prevention programs. 
much better than finding them and dragging them and their parents into court and then making them go to drug school, which is nothing more than sitting around in a room for an hour, listening to somebody up front talk about all the days when they used to do bong hits out of clown bongs and stuff like that. Uh, so, you know, it's just really a way for the municipalities to charge and make money. Um, but if you're going to really do something like this and say uh, that if we catch minors, that we're, they're going to have to be in mandatory intervention and prevention programs, and if they're legitimate programs, good. That's a great thing. Um, and, and that's something that there, that should be. Uh, in Germany, there'll still be a ban on import and export of recreational cannabis, although the government said it's continuing its efforts, particularly through the missions abroad, to promote its approaches to its European partners and is also examining how uh, European Union members, states, can press to make relevant international laws more flexible uh, and developed. So we're going to keep an eye on Germany as well. Um, and all in all, it doesn't sound like the rollbacks are quite as bad uh, as everyone might have imagined. And if that's the way they need to do it to get it started over there, that's a good thing. And if it catches on there, it can move to a few other European countries. Uh, and then you know we can really get to a point uh, where people can begin to travel anywhere in the world. No need for you to worry or you know uh, stress out about trying to sneak your own marijuana with you if you know you're going to a place where uh, upon arrival you can go find stores that will sell you exactly what you want uh, and save you the hassle and the risk of trying to travel with it. So uh, let's see if that doesn't work uh, for more countries and uh, and you know thanks to Germany for for being the uh, the test case in uh, in Europe right now. Uh, Amsterdam doesn't really count because their law is really just designed to allow these clubs to exist, but it doesn't really allow for the use of marijuana outside of the clubs. So Germany is, is really taking it past that point. I'd be curious to see if Germany becomes a new uh, destination site for every uh, 18 to 21-year-old student who travels uh, from the United States to Europe during their college career for one reason or another and all make their way to Amsterdam and all wind up there much longer than they thought they would. Um, but there's a good reason, too. It's a lot of fun. So, you know, you got to do what you got to do. Um, back to the Grateful Dead, back to Stephen Still. So the music that we heard up to this point has all been from the first night, April 16th. So, you know, it's typically the case you can imagine, right? You've got a night... Uh, I'm sure Brendan Byrne was sold out. It was always sold out, but they're sold out and then there's sold out, right? Sold out means the tickets are gone. Sold out means that the tickets are gone and there's another 10,000 people still trying to get in. So what happens the first night, Stephen Stills plays. So everybody automatically assumes he's going to be there the second night. Big push for tickets the next night. Uh, and, and the boys uh, absolutely deliver. Uh, I would highly recommend listening to both of these shows in full. Uh, and, and if time permitted, I, you know, I, I could go through both of the shows and highlight all the non Stephen Stills stuff and just how great all of it is. And, and they're just playing at a, uh, at a wonderful, at a, at a wonderful place right now on a great level. Brent is fully integrated into the band. Jerry's got energy and he's jamming. Uh, Bobby is playing well. The drummers are sharp. Phil's doing his thing with his bass bombs and uh, uh, it's a great time. And on this night with Stephen Stills on stage uh, and knowing that they were playing songs off of his album, uh, the night before, Deadheads could keep their fingers crossed, and they were ultimately rewarded. Dan? song great to hear the grateful dead play it uh you can tell from the singing they were all having a really fun time up there rumor has it uh that they'd all been sharing a big bottle of tequila before the show 
Um, but you know, who knows either way, uh, you know, stills his voice, you know, really, you know, getting out there again, um, you know, and, and, and just doing it in a way that suggests this isn't a really polished type of performance. Like he does with Crosby, stills, Nash and young when he's around. And I, and I love these guys, by the way, I think that their harmonies are amazing and their songs are spectacular and, and help define the era in which they were all written. Um, but, but this is just another, uh, style of playing, uh, and this song also was from from Stephen Stills' album uh, that came out in 1970. In fact, it's the very first song on the album. And what's amazing about this album is just checking out some of the performers on the musical side. Uh, Hendrix played on there, Eric Clapton, Booker T. Jones, uh, and Ringo Starr among some of the musicians who sat in. And he got backing vocals on this album from Rita Coolidge, who apparently Stills was romantically involved with back in 1970. Uh, also uh, singing partners, David Crosby and Graham Nash joined him, Priscilla Jones, John Sebastian, Cass Elliott, Mama Cass of the Mamas and the Papas, uh, and others. The album peaked at number three on the Billboard Top Pop album chart the week of January 2nd, 1971. It was on the charts for 39 weeks. This was uh, Still's biggest solo hit single. It peaked at number 14 on the Billboard Hot 100 on December 19th, 1970, one day after my brother was born. I wonder if there's a connection to that. Either way, great song, uh, and how wonderful uh, for Stills and the Dead to pull that out and uh, make everyone who came that second night holding their breath and hoping that magic would strike twice, and on this night it did, and they were treated to that. Uh, but that wasn't Stills' only uh, uh, performance with the boys that night either, uh, and they break into a really uh, hot, not fade away, and uh, Stephen Stills is right there with them. So let's listen to this one too, Dan. Fade Away, one of their all-time favorites. It's, it's, it's such a great jamming vehicle. Uh, some people might think it was overplayed a little bit, um, but any song that they were playing way back in the beginning and still playing all the way to the end, uh, they can play it any damn way they want. And it is a great tune for a guy like Stills to be able to come out and just pick up a guitar uh, and, and jam with them. Uh, and, he, and he had a great time. Um, in fact, uh, here's a great Mickey Hart quote uh, reminiscing on, that, uh, on those two evenings when uh, Stills joined them. Mickey says, when Stephen Stills played with us at Brendan Byrne in April 1983, he was really moved. He understood the power. And after the gig, he said to me, and this is a great compliment from Stills, this is the greatest garage band in the world. He loved the looseness, the spirit. He doesn't get to play with a band that cooks like this. In his band, they're playing his parts. Here, he turns around and these fire-breathing animals are back there doing the do on his head. And, you know, leave it to Mickey to sum it up probably about as well as it could. But that that's the perfect descriptor. It is. A, they are playing these tunes like a garage band, right? They're playing them because the joy of the music, the love of the music, this is what they love to do. Uh, nobody's going to listen to these vocals or any of that and mistake this for, you know, uh, Freddie Mercury from Queen and, 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 and his amazing vocal capacity or any of the other uh, great singers uh, in, in the music industry, including Stills when he's with uh, Crosby and Nash as well. But none of them play with this kind of unbridled energy. That's not true. I mean, obviously other jam bands, Fish does this and Goose does this and a lot of other bands are doing this now and even other bands from the day, but just in a consistent manner that's just fun and 
you know, by this point, the dead had been in it for about 17 or 18 years. Still, their 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 paths had crossed many times. We talked about how uh, Garcia played some pedal steel for them, and in exchange, uh, they taught the dead how to harmonize for. Uh, working man's and American beauty. Uh, so they were all very familiar with one another. And the fact that they would take time to go and play with each other's bands uh, and do fun stuff like this uh, is to me, you know, just the beauty of that whole scene where all of these guys from that time period all knew each other so well and, and, and loved each other and loved playing with one another. And uh, lucky people in New Jersey, two nights in a row, got to see what it looks like when Stephen Stills joins the Grateful Dead for some garage band music. And, and it was right on. Um, I mentioned Goose in there. And so I will throw out that uh, this coming Saturday night for me, uh, also known as uh, March 15th, I am going to be seeing Goose at the Salt Shed here in Chicago. Very, very excited about that. I've only seen Goose live once. And that was at Sacred Rose this past summer. And while I thought it was uh, a great musical performance, it was way too short for my liking. So this will be my first full Goose show. Very excited, going with my wife, going with my good friends, John and Marnie. Really looking forward to getting out there and enjoying this vibe. Uh, although I've reconciled myself to the fact that I will now again, uh, as often happens with Fish, uh, probably show up and be one of the older people in the crowd instead of being able to blend in like I do at dead-related events is, is still fairly uh, middle of the pack. But this should be a lot of fun. Looking forward to going back to the salt shed, even though they pinched my marijuana the last time I went in. So uh, thinking of all sorts of fun ways to to, to play with them this time. Uh, but either way, uh, we'll report next time. I'm sure we will have a good uh, goose show that will be uh, – um, helped out by whatever pleasant marijuana can be brought in or is around. And of course, for these types of shows, isn't that the whole point? And hopefully the folks at the salt shed have learned that lesson. Uh, right. Uh, Larry Michigan is teaching the salt shed what to do, of course. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, again, if you're going to book a band like goose, be prepared for it because this is, these are the types of fans that you're bringing in. And if it is, then just be happy about it. So, uh, in fact, <laughs> Stephen still said, love the ones you're with, guys. Come on, man. You're bringing these folks in. Just go ahead and enjoy them. They're enjoying you, and everybody can have a good time. Running out of time, and uh, hard to believe that we've already been going at this for an hour. Fun talking about sports and marijuana. Fun talking about uh, other good things that are going on in the industry. And um, uh, for those of us out there that, that love it so much, uh, we will be back again next week. And next week we have... Uh, with us, Stu Sallow, otherwise known as the Deadhead Cyclist, uh, who wrote the Deadhead Cyclist book. What Stu does um, is he has 52 chapters. He picks a show, one for each week, a show that, that was played in the week on the calendar. And from that show, he picks a song. And from that song, he picks a line of lyrics. Uh, and then he spends the rest of the chapter uh, kind of taking apart the lyrics and talking about them. And we'll have to wait and see what lyrics Stu has for us next week. Uh, but please join in and listen. He's a lot of fun. He's got great spirit and uh, really good enthusiasm when it comes to the Grateful Dead. So we're very happy that we will have, have him here again. I'll give a report on my Goose show. Uh, we will, as always, have more wonderful Grateful Dead music for you to listen to. And we're going to send you out. We're going to go back to April 16th, the encore that night. And again, th this is just part of the fun of uh, uh, of having all these guys together on the stage, right? And sometimes they all know what they're doing. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they've planned, but they're having such a good time. They stick around. Uh, and uh, you'll hear Bobby with his little announcement about the need to go with a song that everybody knows. Uh, but either way, it's another hot rock and jam take. Uh, that still just adds an extra layer to and sent everybody packing out of uh, Brendan Byrne Arena with a big smile on their face. So enjoy it. Have a great week and enjoy your cannabis responsibly. Thanks for listening.
Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your cannabis business podcast, The Talking Hedge, and newest member on PodCon X. So come on over and check out The Talking Hedge. We talk about business news, interviews, investments, events, all that stuff. So come nerd out with me over at The Talking Hedge. You can find me at thetalkinghedgepodcast.com or on all your favorite podcast platforms. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out.